Welcome to Changing Light Bulbs, the podcast that's dedicated to innovation and transformation in all of their forms. I am your host, Greg R. McGovern, and today my journey continues with Woody, a military leader who served in a number of peacekeeping missions. In our conversation, we discussed a lot about leadership and the importance that that has on the change process, specifically that engaged leaders have an infectious impact on better outcomes to the change process. This is one of the key points that I've understood as I've gone through my own journey. I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Please take a listen. All right, well, welcome to our next series in our podcast on transformation and change. Today, I have Commander Wood, one of my close personal friends who I've known for, gosh, how long? What, 15 years now? 2007. 2007, so not quite, 11 years. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. You're welcome. Awesome. So, as we talked about before, I always ask every one of my guests, first off, was there a piece of art, drama, music, something that maybe had an influence on your life and maybe tell me a little bit about that. Uh, the music band yeah. Rush is had a huge influence. Three people committed to their trade producing so much music, good music, that's recognized around the world by musicians to say this is some of the best stuff out there. And they set the bar every time. Uh, musicians compare themselves to how well they can play Rush tunes. And, uh, and so those guys who are committed to their trade, committed to their art, uh, those are the guys that, uh, that sort of said, well, uh, everybody says how good they can be. Can you, can you, can you play like Neil Peart? Can you play like Eddie Lee? Can you, can you make it sing like Lifeson? Well, uh, all right, then you're, then you're good. And it's probably as boring as I can be. I mean, oh my gosh, you had to choose Rush. Yeah, uh, good is good, and everybody recognizes that. That's very so cool. why not emulate I don't that? think it's geeky. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about kind of what you do in your professional life? So I am a naval engineer. Uh, I'm, I'm a naval officer first. Very cool. And obviously... Today you're doing me a favor, so even though that is your professional role, yeah. <laughs> we're talking as per- people oh, yeah. and uh, and more from a personal perspective. Yeah, yeah. You've had the chance to serve overseas in, in, in kind of peacekeeping missions. Right, I have. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that experience for you? So uh, the, the experience I had was in Bosnia. Uh, as a Navy engineer, here I am, I found myself to be in really what was an Army mission to be uh, doing what we called civil military cooperation in uh, in, the, in the peacekeeping areas in Bosnia. And so that meant that I was to connect with local authorities, I was to connect with non-government, non-governmental organizations, I was to try and make, uh, set some of, many of the conditions for peace. Uh, and if, if those conditions for peace they were achieved, then the chances were that the belligerents wouldn't resume fighting after we left, right. after we left. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, being very observant for, uh, for all the peacekeeping activities that were going on there, reporting on whatever it is I saw as I left almost every day to go off and do some sort of activity, uh, peacekeeping activity out in, uh, in the Bosnian countryside. So it must have been a completely life-altering experience. It was. It was. It was. I would suggest it was probably the uh, tour that uh, that completely altered my professional life. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it showed to me uh, that, uh, first of all, uh, the world isn't as peaceful as it is here in Canada. 
Yeah. It also demonstrated to me that the, the world can be a very, very uh, evil place. Yeah. But also, you know, you see the best and of people come out, and you see the best of uh, and worst. So it it, it it was part of the uh, it was part of a coming to age uh, to me within my professional career. Wow. So so tell me a little bit about maybe some of the lessons or some of the things that you you took away from that. That uh, that there has to be an element of trust associated with leadership, uh, and that trust has to be built. Uh, in that respect, uh, for leadership needs to be attained over the long term, and uh, I don't think uh, I don't think that was achieved. And I think that that was mainly one of the reasons why I saw a lot of organizations over there fail because the trust wasn't achieved between their leadership uh, within the organizations, and some elements even within our own organizations. And the trust with the individuals at the at the ground level, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That had to be achieved. You had to work hard to gain these people's trust. You had to be able to do that within the six months of tour that I had to get it. So you come back. You've had this life-altering experience. You come back. Yeah. What's it like to come back to Canadian soil after that? That was a hard time. Uh, that was uh, because you had seen so much and you saw a lot of destruction, devastation. I was... Some of my jobs was part of uh, uh, helping out the uh, International War Crimes Tribunal for Yugoslavia. And uh, so there was a lot of evidence collection there associated with that. And of course, much of that evidence, you can imagine some of the worst stuff that you would have to pick up and yeah, uh, yeah. dig up and, uh, and then preserve. And that, uh, that was just, uh, it, was, it was hard to come back. I mean, we, we spent six months fearing grass because there was instant death in there with all the mines that were put in there you came back with you know staying on roads uh staying on you know uh trying to keep trying to think you're you come back you're hyper alert you uh see danger in every corner in fact i still do (laughs) when my kids are running around i think the worst scenario is is going to happen to them uh you stay just so hyper alert all the time. Probability here in Canada of, of any sort of massively dangerous event happening is very, very small. So how do you um, deal with that? You, you yeah. come back and, and, and what's the process to go through I that? didn't deal with it well. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, um, time, time is the process. I didn't deal with it well. I, in my arrogance, I had thought, ah, oh, yeah, I, I can take care of myself. I'm a tough guy. I'm a sailor and a soldier. Soldiers don't complain. They don't. Uh, they don't uh, go out of their way uh, they, uh, to uh, use resources that they couldn't. You know, they think is probably more appropriately used for somebody else. I'm not injured. I might have been injured, but I, you know, mentally. Uh, but you know what? Somebody else probably needs this a lot more than I do. So let them go off and do it. It's sort of a it's sort of the attitude that everybody has, uh, and might be a little naive uh when i came back i had broken up with my girlfriend who is now my wife yeah i had sort of cut myself off from family relations i had done all kinds of things and uh, because when i also when i came back i came back on a weekend and then uh, they say guess what you're on duty on monday uh get back into the office and keep on working and yep absolutely not a problem no questions no complaints everything else like that let's get right back into it it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me uh, that's what I was thinking. What I really needed is probably to deflate. Right. I probably needed to take about six weeks off 
let's focus on because when you're deployed you're focused on everybody else especially as an officer you're you're worried about your section worried about the plans you're worried about the reports going up you're worried about everything else except for yourself and now we are it allows you to start thinking about yourself a little bit more and uh and start repairing mentally yourself and getting back in walk me through that just really briefly okay. how did you ultimately get through it yeah so uh, I talked to a lot of friends good friends yeah. who told me what I needed to hear not what I wanted to hear uh, they told me a lot of things about uh, about you know hey this is happening and that's happening and this is this is how you are going wrong and, <laughs> and although I didn't like them for saying it at the time I like them for saying it now because it was honest and it was uh, these were friends that I trusted. Again, back to trust, right? These are uh, these are friends that are that I trusted. And you had that support network around you. Yeah, even though I pushed that support network away from me initially, because hey, I'm a tough guy and I can do that. You know, this stuff here really sneaks up on you, and yeah. uh, it, it it and next thing you know, you're 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 injured. You won't recognize that you're injured, or you probably recognize that you're injured, but you know, you can say that I'm a tough guy and I'll tough it out. But you, you have people that will come around and they will signal to you to say, hey, listen, you need help. So imagine, hey, yeah. you know, you're sitting in front of an audience who just came back from a peacekeeping mission. What's advice that you would give to them? When you get back home, uh, your spouse who has been home, uh, he or she yeah. was right the entire time. Uh, when all their decisions that they had ever made, because they were here close to the ground. Don't be critical of that. Number two uh, is just take the time to think about, you know, where you are, where your mental uh, headspace is. And if you need help, get the help. And that's difficult for soldiers to do because they think that they can do it themselves. If you think that you can fight mental health issues on your own, good on you, but you might be wrong you might not be correct in thinking that yeah I can fix this all by myself so now you've been through this big transformation you've gone through this yeah. whole process what does the word transformation mean to you now uh, transformation is uh, change is a product uh, it's a product that results from some kind of either need or conflict if you're looking at project management or if you're looking at uh, trying to make a change that's right for the world, then it, it, it has to come from some form of the spectrum of conflict somewhere. Right. Okay, Either you're dealing with some passive-aggressive grumblers or, <laughs> or you're dealing with full-on fights in the office. Right, right. right. Uh, it's, it's impossible to create change without conflict. So I think that if you're talking about transformation... Um, if transformation is big change, well, then that demands big leadership. Uh, and that leadership needs to come from trusted people. Large, large, massive change. You need to have massive leadership, massive trust. And you have to have the people in place who aren't posers. They, they must be leaders. They have to be the people that the organization trusts 
They have to be people where the organization uh, uh, inherently has a faith that they are going in the right direction. And so how do you do that? You, you, you persuade, you motivate, you understand your people, and you gain and earn their trust. And that people think that change happens at an instant or transformation happens at an instant. It can, but in order for you to do that, the trust and leadership has to be in place years, months uh, in advance. So that when advance, when the changes uh, happen, people move ahead with the faith and the trust and, the, uh, and that environment is already in place. See, now that's a really interesting point. I yeah. think we got I want to explore that because you, you, not only was I curious about your peacekeeping and the transformation that happened through yeah. that process, but I'm most interested in every day that you exist in your professional life, you deal with change. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, that's, you know, one of the core things I want to talk about. But yeah. the first thing you said, and I, I just want to touch on a couple of things. You said you need to be on the conflict spectrum somewhere in order for yeah. change to occur. Right. Um, and then the second thing is you needed good leadership. We'll get to good leadership in a second. But one of the elements that you mentioned was yeah. trust. Yeah. But you said something that the trust has to be built before the change occurs. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so maybe explain to the audience a little bit more about how important that is from, from your world yeah. about building that trust every day so that when change needs to happen, right. everybody moves forward. So I, I would suggest that you would have to think that you'd have to create in, in uh, so trust is, is working with people, knowing them, understanding what their motivates, what motivates them, understanding what their, their own desires are they have to if they have to under they they have to know that you know what they need right that you care that yeah. uh, as if you are their leader you it doesn't matter if you care you have to show that you care you have to show that and earn their trust and in knowing them as people knowing what motivates them because eventually you're gonna have to persuade them to do something and eventually you're going to have to, you know, that that's that's an end goal sort of approach. But really it's just a good guy approach. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just making sure that you're a good feller and, uh, and, and, and you're leading these people to try and motivate them in a way that uh, that, that in, in the direction that you need to, to go into. But even if you get it wrong, good leaders will still be recognized as good leaders. And you've seen a lot of good leaders, and, and I would argue you're a great leader. Oh. What, what would well. you say beyond the trust element that are some of the little unique things that help to create that, that embodiment that, the, that your, your, okay. your staff or your, your yeah. team is going to follow you when, you when you need to lead? So you have to work hard and do a full research on the problem that it is that you are trying to solve. What is it that you're trying to fix? What is it that you're trying to produce? What yeah. is it that you, you have to have a full, complete understanding of the process? Whatever it is. So there has to be a level of professional expertise that's associated with that. And if you're going to be the leader, then man, you better know it, especially as an engineer. If you don't know your systems, your technicians find out very, very quickly, very quickly that you yeah. don't know. And you lose, you lose that level of, of respect. Uh, it, you, you have to become professionally, technically competent. That's bare bones basic. But you can get that from a textbook. Right, right. right. 
and that's that's fine. But we aren't we aren't leading textbooks, and we're not leading by email, and we're not leading by technology. You're leading people, and so with that, you have to engage your people. You have to engage them all day. And my approach, uh, and it's 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 scary. My approach was it comes at a bit of my cost. My approach was engaging people all day. And then when they go home at the end of the day, that's when my technical professional work day begins. The time between eight and four uh, or, or yeah. nine to five or whatever you want to call it, uh, or in the, in the military from six till you know, 10 o'clock at night, uh, <laughs> that's when you are engaging with people. And if you're not doing that, then I would suggest that uh, you, you need to uh, do it more. And, and culturally in the military, you know, versus potentially the private sector. But that culture, how do you build a culture of, of change or the willingness to change within an organization? Is that possible? Is it? That has to be built upon a culture of, of, of driving towards success. Change must result in success. Otherwise, it starts to erode after a while and people are saying, oh, why are we changing? Why are we doing this? Let's find our safe places and we found some success in doing this. So let's find our safe place and let's keep on doing what we were doing and uh, let's not do that. But the culture of change is difficult. It has to come from, uh, it has to come from the top and being supported from the very, very top, the institutional leadership. Uh, the military tries very much to do that. However, uh, however, there there are some places where you have uh, more process-driven organizations that uh, that that makes change and agility uh, very difficult. Like any large institution, of course, you have yeah. processes in place and red tape and whatever you want to call it. So. We're just about to wrap up here, mm-hmm. and like, I really appreciate your time, and some of your insights have been hopefully very valuable to the audience. They certainly taught me a lot. But you and I share an affinity for a certain general yeah. in the Canadian military, yeah. and maybe you could just tell me what made him a great leader. Well, okay, so Hofmeister, yeah. uh, that's General Major General Hofmeister, who started off World War II as, a, as an obscure uh, reservist, captain in the army uh, and ended up at the end of World War II as a major general and was being tagged as the at the end of World War II in Europe he was tagged to be the general to go and fight the Japanese take the army Canadian army and go fight the Japanese and that is just I, I don't know if your audience knows anything about the rank structure of uh Canadian military, but that would be like somebody becoming, uh, oh, you know, somebody who's in charge of the mail office and then becoming perhaps the CEO of a company within three years. And I think some of the wonderful stories about him was was that whole concept of getting down into the trenches with the guys. And he literally did that. If he needed to know something, you know, even when he was a major general, and in fact, I believe he got criticized for it a fair bit, where he would be out in the front line trying to understand what was happening to his soldiers. And then translating that into better strategy and better plans. Yeah, he was always leading from the front, yeah. uh, and he was always lead, uh, and he was criticized quite a bit for yeah. that because he, you know, uh, he was always putting himself in danger, and 
you have to recognize that maybe as the general, you shouldn't necessarily always be at the pointy end of the spear. Yeah. Uh, but he was a soldier, soldier. Uh, he was a, uh, a soldier's general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the troops loved him. They saw that he was willing to share the same risks as they were. They saw that he was willing to lead from the front or at least get as close to the front as possible. Uh, it's it's interesting that the, I, I don't know if you know this, but there was a bit of a saying about Hoffmeister yeah. where uh, they thought uh, his his aide, his Batman, uh, was uh, 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 they were going to nominate him for a Victoria Cross just for following him around. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably pretty close. Just for following Hoffmeister around uh, the battlefield. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he embodies. Speak. Yeah, speaks to the the engagement that he created with his, his right. staff. So this is great. Well, listen, right. our time has come to an end. And I want to thank you so much for taking this opportunity. I mean, at the end of the day, I really appreciate it. And uh, I think you've provided a lot of stuff that, that will hopefully inspire and, and, and allow right. our, our audience to think about change and transformation and, uh, and, and be successful with their projects. So right. thank you so much. You're welcome. This concludes our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. For more information on the work that I do around innovation and transformation, please check out my website at www.changinglightbulbs.com. And for more information on our amazing sponsor, Delta Oversee, the software company that's dedicated to enabling positive, sustainable change and transformations for organizations, please check out their website at www.deltaoversee.info or give them a shout at 647 513 3582. Don't forget to mention that you heard about us on this podcast. Thanks again, and never forget to continually adapt and transform for tomorrow's reality.